I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's poppin', everybody? Happy Monday, happy game day, game four, big time uh, game going down this evening. As you can see, I've missed that intro, but we're going to continue. I'm joined by my homie, my compadre, my co-host in crime, Mr. Greg Manakis, up at 4.45 a.m. Is Ooh, that right? Man, I don't, yeah, 4.45 here in Austin, Texas. I uh, got my coffee, got my, got my Celtics robe on, so I'm feeling good, feeling great, ready to talk some seeds, man. Let's do it. Yeah, I'm in a robe too, man. Where's the, what, I think that needs to be the new rule. Marcus Smart said you wear a robe to work. This is work. We're wearing robes. We're doing it. We're doing it, man. How are you feeling coming into game four after, we, you know, everything that happened in game three? You, the you foul know, calls and all that. I, so I went back and I rewatched the game yesterday, and I thought I wasn't going to be quite as frustrated as, as I was initially. But man, rewatching that game, those refs, and then like I really don't want to make it about the refs, but the refs were just god awful throughout that game. It wasn't just that last call. Even in the first quarter, there were multiple missed calls, um, especially with uh, the way Giannis is playing defense, not even the way he's playing offense. There was just one one play in particular where Grant Williams uh, drove him baseline from the left side of the court, and Giannis knocked the ball off of Grant's knee. And or no, he 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 knocked the ball off, uh, out of bounds, but it was off Giannis, and he like pushed up on Grant, pushed him off of his line, hip checked him, and then like reached through his body to knock the ball away. And the refs just acted like that was just normal defense to play. There were multiple plays like that where Giannis was just ultra aggressive with his body, pushing people off their spot. Um, and then you know what happened on that next play? So the ball went out of bounds. Tatum drove on George Hill, and that was when Tatum put his shoulder into Hill's chest, and they called an offensive foul on Tatum driving baseline. And it's just like the inconsistency with what they're allowing physicality-wise in game three was was just mind-boggling to me to use Emay's word from the beginning of the season. And then when you factor in what happened in the fourth quarter and then that BS last two-minute report came out, like – I don't know, man. I, I thought I was going to be able to feel better about game three with a little bit of perspective, but watching it back yesterday just made me even more angry. Yeah, I feel like there was a lot of, incons- like you say, there's a lot of inconsistencies um, with, the, with the whistle. Giannis is always going to get the Giannis whistle in Milwaukee. I think that like you came into it expecting things to go that way. And look, he plays physically. And I think that when there's this much physicality, the refs need to create a baseline in their head of, right, we're going to allow anything up to this on both sides of the floor. And beyond that, it is what it is. The shooting foul call or the non-shooting foul call was probably the most egregious of the bunch. I think there was a few where, like, you know, where Giannis kind of like um, Uku Gashid, Grant Williams in, in like oh, a hip toss. And then, you know, that never really got called. And that could have dislocated his arm, could have broke his elbow, could have done a few different things. But look, it's in the books. You can't go back and change it. What we can do is we can look ahead and see what, what goes on in game four. Now, I tweeted out about 10 minutes before you hit me up, maybe even less than that, saying this game to me is do or die. You know, mm-hmm. if you lose this Agreed. game, as far as I'm concerned, the series, like, I don't see how Boston could go and win free on the free on the road. You know, you win you because you go to the TD Garden, you've got to win. Then you've got to go back to Milwaukee. You have to win. Like this, if they lose tonight, the pressure on to win each game will probably be too much. And it doesn't, you know, it's not really a done thing to come back and defeat defending champions three times in three games. Mm-hmm. So 
obviously you're going to want a better performance from Jason Tatum. I think that was one of the worst performances he's had in a very, very long time, if not his entire playoff career. Uh, and I'm not just talking about statistics either. I'm talking about body language. He looked like he, he knew he, you know, he looked a little bit defeated. You saw his shoulders slump a few times. Going to need JB to keep being JB. And Marcus Smart, man, I mean, we were all on playback. I came in for the second half of the game on playback. And I remember vividly you all will saying like, hey, Marcus Smart's not really making an impact right now. Derek White's probably the better player, better option mm-hmm. between the two guys. Coming back off that quad injury, you can expect it. But without those three guys all playing at their top, top level, this is going to be another rough game. And I'm not sure how it's going to go. Yeah, I mean, if you're a Celtics fan, though, you got to, you know, take a little solace in the fact that Milwaukee got that superhuman performance out of Giannis out of the way. If he's going to do that again, back-to-back games with only one day rest in between, then you just got to tip your cap to him because, I, you know, he had three days off in between games one and game, oh, game two and game three to really rest that body and then get himself focused for the, for what seemed, it seemed like he was trying to make a statement. Right in game three, Giannis came out and was like, "All right, you know, you get if if you want to win this series, you got to go through me. We're in Milwaukee. This is my house. I'm going to show you why I am the league's MVP. Even though he wasn't, he probably not going to win it this year. He probably should have won it this year, and probably should have won it last year as well. So with Giannis, I mean, if if this if it takes that much out of Giannis and Tukumpo to beat the Boston Celtics by two points on a BS non-foul call at the end of the game where Al Horford." tips the ball in, you know, milliseconds after the buzzer. As a Celtics fan, you got to feel pretty good about that. And then when you add on to that, Marcus Mark didn't play all that well. And Jason Tatum, as you said, had probably his worst game he's had in his playoff career. And we haven't seen a, a Tatum stinker just in general in a while. He was so good after the All-Star break. You know, that was one of the, I think he was four for 19. The number in the past was three for 17. It was like, why, why is Tatum having these three for 17 games? Um, and I don't know what it is about how Milwaukee's defending him. It seemed like in that game, there was like a little bit less of the early trap on Tatum. And I don't know if that was the Celtics offense. It seemed like the offense was running a little bit more through the bigs and like delay actions and dribble handoffs and less just Tatum go and pick and roll so that they could trap him and, and get the ball out of his hands. It seemed like they were trusting Wes Matthews to guard him a little bit more in isolation. I don't know if that's kind of how you felt, but um, Matthews did a heck of a job on him, man. Yeah, there was definitely some uh, a lot more big man orientated play. You know, especially like Rob on the perimeter, getting things into the elbows. They were trying to generate more from the elbows. And I think that from an offensive standpoint, if the shots were falling, I think that game plan works quite well, you know, because it was keeping the floor open. It was allowing JB to drive off rip throughs. It was allowing to score off the catch. It it just worked. I think Milwaukee are going to give you that mid-range area. So if you can facilitate out of there and run some actions uh, from there or from the perimeter, that's going to give you a good advantage. Um, for me, I mean, Tatum after the game said his wrist has been giving him some issues for a while now. This was one of them games where he really felt it. That's concerning. You know what I mean? If, if his wrist is hurt, if it's get, if it's progressively getting worse, that's going to limit his shot anyway. And he, look, all season, his bread and butter has been getting to the rim. And he's not getting to the rim right now, uh, simply because of how much protection Milwaukee can put up in front of it. So there's gonna they're gonna need to keep relying on him to do stuff. But what what got to me the most was 
when he's struggled with scoring over the last few months, especially since the All-Star break, as you pointed out, he's turned into a facilitator and he's made everybody else better. He's made plays and points have gone on the board with him involved. That didn't really happen in in the last game like you know free assists isn't terrible but we we've been talking about you know we we we're seeing him do six seven eight dimes a game at this point and that's becoming something that you really need off him especially when he's not scoring rebounding was also down only got one rebound for a guy that's been nearly a double double guy we'll see you know what i mean that was a, a huge issue especially on the glass you take a couple of those rebounds down maybe it's not a two-point game obviously you can say that about literally a hundred different moments in, in a in a game but i do think that you know he needs to kind of step up and be counted now everybody has a bad game and i was one of the first ones on twitter to come out and say like yo keep that same energy when he has a good game for everybody that's bashing him after a bad game because i think that the the swing that these players have to pull up with from the fan base when like from half like you know he's a generational top five talent to this dude's trash he's only a top 25 we're never going to win with him it's too much momentum swing for me from happy to sad, sad to happy. So keep that same energy, but he does need to stand up and be counted because without, and we've said this on this podcast before, without him and Brown playing off of each other and excelling at the same time, the ceiling on the, on this team's um, ability to win a championship drastically lowers. Yeah, for sure. And I, I as, as you were talking uh, maybe this is something you can pull up. Will and I, I don't know if you were listening to our pod the other day. We were trying to do like a stat uh, lookup in the middle of the pod and we just completely fumbled it because we're not good at it. Um, I, I was trying to look up as you were talking there, the number of um, seconds Tatum is holding the ball and, or how many dribbles per touch he's he's getting um, in the last couple games or maybe just in this series versus, versus what he's been doing lately. Because it does seem like to me that um, Tatum isn't really participating in the driving kick game you know a lot of what he's doing he's holding the ball um when he's getting the ball off of a catch because he's getting the ball out early i'll give him i'll give him credit that like when when they when they double team him he's, he's not you know extending the defense out and taking two or three extra dribbles it seems like he's really trying to get that get rid of the ball early but in general with somebody like wesley matthews and a, a very physical defender like that, if you're going to allow them to get up into your body and kind of play through their body, it's you're playing to their advantage. I think one of the things to look for in game four is how much can we get the ball to Tatum in rotation where Matthews kind of has to rotate out to him and close out hard and then Tatum to take advantage of that. There are a couple plays in game two where Tatum got the ball on a catch and didn't know when he had his shot, didn't know when he had his drive. And I think if he's just a little bit more decisive as he's learned how to be throughout this season, then I think that's going to open up a lot of things for him um, against this physical Milwaukee team. Because there have been a few moments where I'm like, man, this seems like the old JT. You know, he doesn't know if that catch and shoot three is there. He doesn't know if he should shot fake and then, you know, get into the person's body because of the way that they're closing out on him. Um, or the way that, that they're not even leaving his body, right? So they're they're kind of like at his body on the catch. And that that's a testament to, to Wesley Matthews, man, and what Wesley Matthews is doing to him. Um, I, I don't know. Are you able to pull up those numbers? Of course I was. <clears throat> um, so we've got – excuse me. Sorry about that. So we've got Jason Tatum taking 87 touches per game on average through this series. Um, time of possession, 5.2 seconds per touch. 
Average t- seconds, oh, no, time of possession, 5.2 seconds. Average seconds per touch is 3.6 seconds. Average dribbles, 2.7. Elbow touches, 3.3. Post-ups, 1.3. Paint touches, 1.7. What other numbers did you want? Um, I, I guess just like in general, comparing that to what he does um, in the in the regular season. So in the regular season, we can do that on the fly right now. We can just change it to regular season. And then we get rid of this and then we run it again. This is excellent podcasting. Okay, regular season. He's getting a few less touches, 73.8. His average um, touch, average time per touch is 3.78 seconds. So when we change that, that's 3.78 in the playoffs. Well, in this round, it's a little bit less. It's 2.78. So it is changing a little bit. Like um, he, he's on the ball a bit less. He's getting off of it. Almost a second quicker, which mm. in NBA terms is like fast, a lot faster. He's giving it up for it. average um, second per touch, 3.61, sorry, in the playoffs. Whereas which is actually the, higher, right? Yeah, it's um, he was getting off of it a bit quicker in the regular season. Yeah. Not much, but a little bit quicker. Um, I think the thing is, though, <clears throat> he's not being trapped as much in the regular season. There's more space in the regular sure. season. Uh, his time of possession is a little bit more in the playoffs as well, but I just think that's because he's trying to drag defenders away from the room a little bit and then start to try and open things up for those swing passes. I'm not concerned about how they're defending him. I think George Hill doing quite a good job as well when when he was switched on to Tatum over Wesley Matthews for a few minutes here and there. Um, I just think they're getting underneath him. They're giving him the same treatment Boston are giving Giannis. And it, and it is quite tough. Uh, I'm just trying to look at some other numbers as we're talking. I think that the number one thing that concerns me at the moment is the fact that he can't get easy buckets. And we've seen Tatum struggle for two, three quarters, see one go down and then go nuclear. You know what I mean? He just Mm -hmm. turns super Saiyan, ultra instincts, whatever you want to call it. And everything starts falling for him. When you can't get to the rim like that, when everything is taken away, it's really hard to get in a rhythm. And that comes for playmaking. It comes for scoring. Even just confidence-wise, like if you're scared to go in among the tall trees, it's going to be a really rough series. And I remember you saying this during the playback, saying that you know the reason Jalen's been so successful in this series is that he has no fear of Giannis. He's gotten like he just, I think you said he's figured out his timing. He knows how to blow by him. Yeah, and that's why that's why Jalen Brown is becoming like the swing factor for Boston in this in this series. But you still need Tatum being self-aware enough to realize hey i haven't got it this series doesn't work for me the matchups aren't the best i'm going to take a step back and be that second option and be more of a facilitator to keep getting jb mm-hmm. ball. and you know as long as that tandem can work in one way or another then boston have a chance of winning this game for sure and i think we should talk about jb a little bit because he's had a heck of a two games um since that pretty bad game one but to your point that you were just making about why jb is able to you know, be more successful against this Bucks uh, interior defense. This is something I, I've been talking about throughout the season. Is just Jason Tatum plays more through his shoulders, and Jalen Brown plays a little bit more through his hips, right? And when you're trying to go up at the rim against the Giannis, against the Brook Lopez, you need to kind of hit them first with your hips, 
and like kind of meet them before they've reached the pinnacle of their jump. So like kind of on the way up. And it seems like JB is able to do that a little bit better than Tatum is. Um, Tatum, Tatum kind of has that like long step that he takes into somebody's body before they get up in the air. And for whatever reason, like the timing or like where they're positioned on the court, it hasn't really lent itself to that. So they're meeting JB with like, um, you know, with minimal space in between their bodies and they're meeting Tatum, uh, you know, with like a solid two to three feet in between their bodies when he's at the rim. And it's like JB's doing a much better job of getting into the bigs' bodies like as they're going up into the air. And I think that actually lends itself to finishing around the rim a little bit better against this Bucks team. Uh, one more point with JB, though, is I was really surprised, and I was talking about this during the playback, at how well he's been able to handle Drew Holiday with Drew Holiday as his primary defender. Now, Drew definitely had a few moments where he swallowed up JB and made JB make like a last second pass as he was going up for a shot. But in general, we've kind of knocked JB for having a loose handle. And this is something that um, my guy, Ro Million, who was, who was on the pot, uh, who's on the playback with us for a minute was talking about as a basketball player, because Roe played uh, professional basketball for the Haiti national team. So he's like, he's like really, really great player. And he was talking about like sometimes when you're going up against somebody who's not quite the same level of player as you, you tend to get like a little bit too showboaty, like against somebody like Seth Curry, who gave JB some problems in the regular season. You try and do a little bit too much. But when you have the world's best perimeter defender guarding you, you have to focus. And that's always been the thing with JB is that his focus kind of waxes and wanes with game to game on offense and defense. And against Drew Holiday, he's like, if I'm not 100% focused, if my handle isn't super tight, if my moves aren't super precise, right? Drew Holiday is going to give me a lot of issues. And for whatever reason, these last two games, he has locked in, he's super focused and he's getting Drew Holiday out of position better than anybody else on this team. And I think that he's really manipulating the defense well, not necessarily for playmaking, although I do feel like he's this has probably been his two best two-game stretch of playmaking I've seen out of him. Um, with so much attention on Tatum, it's really important for JB to be a facilitator and a scorer. Like I know you are always talking about JB's a play finisher, focus on that. But I think he's really shown signs in these last two games that if he focuses – throughout the season and throughout a game, he can be a facilitator and he can be like a next level um, offensive threat. Yeah. And I mean, for me, like as a playmaker, I'd want him as a secondary type of guy, you know, like, yeah. because my issue with his handle comes in the open court and comes when he's dribbling into like into a crowd. Like if he's given, if it's a one-on-one matchup and JB's got the handle and he's not trying to, as you said, showboat or go into, go too deep into his bag. He is more than perf- more than capable of taking a guy off the dribble, a few steps in, then kick it out or finish it the rim. If you're asking him to come over a screen and then attack a defense where they pinch, that's where that handle becomes an issue for me. And I think that's where a lot of his mistakes come from. Like more than, you know, a guy digs at him, he's got a guy in front of him, someone digs from the other side and all of a sudden it's a turnover because he's dribbled off his foot. And again, that does come down to focus. It also comes down to spatial awareness as well. Just knowing where, you know, what knowing when to pull the ball back, knowing when to just stop dribbling, look for the pass, whatever it may be. But I agree. I think there's a world where we can start seeing him be a secondary offensive play. You know, someone penetrates, kicks to JB, JB penetrates, kicks off or dumps the ball off or whatever it may be. But most importantly, 
his mid-range game is keeping the defense honest. He's forcing guys to take a step up away from the rim. And that's where you can start seeing like Rub maybe get a, a lob here or there, but trying to do that over Giannis and Brooke Lopez and Portis is always going to be difficult. But just being able to hit those mid-ranges consistently really starts to compromise what Brooklyn, like, not Brooklyn, what Milwaukee like to do on the defensive end. You know, they want to play a deep drop. They want to live with the freeze. They want to live with the middies because they're going to take away the easy buckets for you. If you start making those difficult ones, well, they have to compromise on their... Uh, their principles. So I think that JB has been arguably, I don't even know if it's arguable at this point, the best Celtics player in this series outside of Al Horford. I think Al Horford's uh, got a case to be made for being one of the best players from both sides of the, both teams. But for JB, like everything's fine when JB is playing like this. The only downside is one of these guys being hot isn't enough. Mm-hmm. You know, without, without him and Tatum, finding a rhythm and figuring out how to impact this game at a high level together, you're still going to be going up against a really, really stern opposition. It's only, it, it shouldn't be a surprise that game two, the game where Tatum and Brown played well together, is the game that Boston won easily. Game one, Tatum played well, Brown didn't. You know what I mean? Game three, the script flips. Uh, and now game four coming in, you really need Marcus Smart to be back at Mar- as Marcus Smart because he didn't look like himself in game three. And you need Al Horford to give you more of the same. I mean, that dude was balling out. It was a kind of heartbreaking that it was him that touched the ball last, you know? Right? You Such would expect a- like the, the game that he had that, that it just somehow, even though it felt as we were watching live, we were like, that was late. You're like, but it was Al. Like Al's having this, you know, turn back the clock game, turn back, turn back the clocks, like season, to be honest with you. And to, for him to tip that just a little bit too late. And also for the one, the tip before that to rim out, you know, he had two tips in a row and the one before that rimmed out. It was just so, so frustrating, man. I, I never I, caught it live, you know, but that smart foul by Portis when oh he goes to get the rim, I never caught that live. It wasn't until yesterday that I saw it. I was like, yeah, that was like a straight up flagrant. Mm-hmm. Grabbed him across the shoulders and ripped him to the ground. How do you not call that? I mean, we didn't see it live, though, as to your point, right? We didn't see it live. But yeah, hey, I, I, I was I was wondering, man, you're a big wrestling guy. You were talking about how, like, Tatum, Tatum and Brown need to be playing at their peak levels at the same time, going up against somebody like Giannis. What is the wrestling, wrestling analogy for, like, two smaller guys going up against, like, a bigger guy in, 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 a, in like, a tag team match or, like, a Royal Rumble or something like that? Like Hardy Boys, Hardy Boys versus like Kane or something like that. Yeah, maybe or like Mysterio and his son versus Brock Lesnar or something like that. You know, <laughs> you know, it's 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 some craziness. But it, you know, does I remember watching WCW as a kid and Rey Mysterio was taking on everyone, dude. He was the giant killer. Like it's possible because you and it is a good analogy because you've got Giannis. It's this hulking big man that's really going to overpower you, be physically dominant. I I like that. I keep seeing people calling him the modern day Shaq because I think that's a really good way of describing that physical dominance. But then Boston have these high flyers, these athletic, nimble, really good at changing directions, can hurt you in so many ways that you can't see coming. They're your cruiserweights, man. 
Mm-hmm. They need to be willing to bang with the big boys. And sometimes that means that you're going to get hurt. Some, you know, play through that wrist injury for Tatum. It's not even an injury. It's like a, a complaint, that wrist complaint from Tatum. Uh, you're going to need Brown to be a lot, like continue being physical. I think the reason Brown's having so much success at the minute is because he's, he's strong as hell. He's, yeah, man. You know, yeah. Dude. As you were just talking that, that, that just reminded me of like the narrative around these two players coming into this season is that JB was the stronger of the two, right? Tatum has gotten a lot more um, public hype over like how big his shoulders are and everything. But I think just in general, Jalen's the stronger of the two, um, just like, man strength right jb's kind of always had that man strength it seems like tatum does like a little bit more like working bulking in the gym but tatum i mean uh, brown is just stronger than he is and he's always been the player to thrive more in a physical game than tatum tatum has struggled with physicality in the past and you you haven't really seen that this year but this series is really making me remember like how I used to feel about these two guys. Cause Tatum has just transcended to a whole nother level. I kind of have stopped feeling the way that I used to feel about him is that he gets pushed off, pushed off his spots and that he, he does not thrive in a physical game. Whereas JB throughout his career, anytime the game has gotten physical, that's when JB like locks in and focuses and is able to really thrive, get out in transition, play through his hips, as I was saying earlier, get into people's bodies and finish at the rim. And that's one thing that I want to see moving forward to game four. If we, like if we can look forward to tonight, because I think we need Tatum obviously to get off, but JB, if he can continue to get out in transition and continue to make the impact that he has had on the offensive end and on the defensive end against Drew Holiday. I thought he did another good job guarding Drew in game three. Um, I, I think that the Celtics are going to win game four, man. Um, I, do you, would you say that getting Tatum off in the first quarter is probably the most important thing, though? Yeah, you need to force feed him as many shots as possible. Try and run some sets to get him going downhill at the rim. Just get him some open looks. Because if you can get him hot early and get him going from the opening tip then that's going to be a huge swing factor that I'm not sure Milwaukee can counter. Yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking like maybe some JB, like early JB initiation with Tatum as the screener or like off ball action with JB and JT to just to like try and force some sort of switch so that it's not Wes Matthews garden Tatum, right? Cause if it's JB initiating with JT screening, maybe there's a world in which the bucks um, switch that. Right. And if they double JB, then it's just short roll JT or pick and pop for a three. So I, th- I think that would be just like off the top of my head, something that I'm looking for in game four is more JT as a screener and not with Marcus Smart as the lead ball handler. Right. I think it needs to be JB. I think maybe it needs to be Peyton Pritchard. Um, and then we could figure out a way to get Wes Matthews off of Jason Tatum. And maybe maybe if Tatum gets a rhythm, then he can get going and he's like, oh, like, for, I can't believe for three games I let Wes Matthews shut me down. Like, I know how to beat this guy. I am better than him. He's just been in my head and been in my jersey for three games. I think, you know, MA starts games with a set play pretty much every game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They always run a designed play to open the first quarter. I'd like to see them take a leaf out of the Warriors, like, about four or five years ago when they would run um, rip DHOs to get Curry or Draymond or Clay getting downhill to the rim early mm. and run a rip DHO for Tatum and get Tatum just barreling full speed with them big shoulders, that wide frame coming off of a DHO 
after coming off of the rip screen and just going downhill and getting an easy dunk or getting like even if it's not easy even if he has to body someone out the way and it's just a really tough layup just getting that contact in the first possession and really absorbing it and realizing like yo i can do this i can finish through this contact you know outside of Giannis, no one else on this team stronger than me because mm-hmm. that's how that's the mentality he's going to have to have. Giannis is definitely stronger than you. Unfortunately, Giannis is the strongest guy on the floor. So don't go at him. Go at Brook Lopez. You should be stronger and more explosive than Brook Lopez. You are stronger and more explosive than Bobby Portis. So use that frame. But starting a possession off like that, making sure that you can get Giannis taken out of the defensive possession. Maybe you get someone sealing him. Maybe you have JB on the opposite side of the floor and you've managed to run enough ball action to get Giannis switched onto the perimeter. Whatever it may be, then run that rip DHO and just get Tatum a, a shot through contact that is a high percentage chance to fall. Because I think once he sees that and he's done it with that physicality, it's kind of like the first time you ever go and like, when you're a kid, right, and you get into like a little scrap, scrape at school, and you realize like, yo, I'm not made of glass, and then all of a sudden you're, you you become you don't become like you just become more confident in yourself because you know that if I fall off a skateboard, I'm not going to shatter. If I fall over, I'm going to be okay. I feel like Tatum just needs one of those moments, like, yo, I, I can do this, man. As long as I'm not going directly at Giannis, I can do this. Mm-hmm. And I, that reminds me of a play that the Celtics ran in the first quarter. Um, and, and as I was rewatching it, it was just interesting to to see what I think the the philosophy was. And they they had Smart initiate in a horn set with Allen Rob um, right at the three point line, and Smart initiated to Al on the left elbow or or just like just above the break, and uh, he went through. And we had Tatum on the on the right wing. And what happened was they actually ran a pick and roll with Allen Rob. So Rob set a screen for Al to go into a dribble handoff with Tatum. And I think what they were trying to get there was a switch between the bigs, right? Because Giannis was on Al and uh, Brooke Lopez was on Rob. So I think when they went dribble handoff, they were hoping that Brooke Lopez would switch on to Al and that Giannis would take Rob rolling to the rim so that it could be then an Al Horford, Jason Tatum dribble handoff where Brooke Lopez was guarding um, was guarding and drop on Al right there, or maybe switching on. And the fact that Giannis was able to fight through that and be the the defender on Al on the dribble handoff um, was interesting to me because I, I I thought that they might switch that if if it were big to big, and I didn't see the Celtics go back to that. So I'm wondering if they tested that early in that first quarter and were like, is there an is is this a way that we can get Giannis off of Tatum and Matthews off of Tatum and get into a more advantageous. Um, advantageous switch there so i like that idea of the rip dribble handoff because I, th- I think that would definitely cause a little bit more confusion and i think just more screening off of the ball for jt in hopes that we can get early switches where matthews isn't guarding tatum because matthews really has been an issue man yes yeah, grenade dhos as well will be another way of getting it done um run a run a couple of grenade dhos which is just simply a dho where you feed the ball into a big man on the post on the block and then he comes he cuts vertically back towards the perimeter and then gives you that dho ideally on an empty corner empty side so you've got no one in the corner on the side of dho is taking place as the big man comes up and runs that dho all the defend all the defenders are on the um the ball side of the big man so once he turns he can seal everybody and now you're forcing, you've just got an open lane to the rim and you're forcing help where dumb puffs can come around as well. I'm shocked they haven't run that because a lot of European teams run that type of play when there's 
elite level rim pressure i mean rim protectors there when you've got big hulking rim protectors those grenade dhos they're called a grenade because they blow up the defensive coverage that they really do open up driving lanes to the rim and then you know you've got rotations just dump off opportunities swing passes to the weak side corners become available or you can go up strong and finish the fact we haven't seen them run that has been quite shocking i was expecting to see a couple of them in game three simply because i feel that's a way that you can pressure brook lopez and kind of exploit the fact that he's getting old and he can't change direction as quick as what he'd like to do and his lateral quickness hasn't been tested enough in this series for my liking mm-hmm. yeah they, i thought they tested it all right in you know game two they got him into foul trouble he had five fouls in that game but in general with brook lopez it's like the when he's standing by the rim he does such a good job of just being huge Right. And he's like seven foot two or whatever he is. And like all the lobs that we've gotten to rob throughout the season just really haven't been there. Brooke actually broke up a couple of lobs in game three just by kind of firing back with one big step towards Rob and just like having his hands up in the air. You know, so I don't know if like we need to um, figure out a way to get him in movement. I know there there's one opportunity early in transition. I think JB had the ball on the left side of the court and Rob beat Lopez down the court. And um, I think it was the play where he eventually got the pass inside and missed that layup where he had Wes Matthews on him and he like kind of sealed him, back sealed him. They threw it over the top and then Drew Holiday contested at the rim and Rob missed the layup um, in that first quarter. Um, so I, I would like to see, you know, in game four, how we can get Lopez moving, as you were just saying, and potentially how we can continue to stretch the defense vertically, which we haven't really been able to do. I, I, I don't have the numbers of how many lobs we've had in this series, but I would imagine it's under four. That would be my guess. Under four I lobs. I can't think it's many. Yeah. I mean, we've attempted, we've attempted more than four, but I, I don't think we've actually executed more than four. Yeah, we definitely haven't executed more than four. <laughs> definitely. I think the only other thing as well to touch on is um, transition defense. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like Boston's half-court defense has been excellent all the way through the series. They've done a really good job of showing they can answer any questions asked of them in the half-court. On transition, they've been a lot more susceptible to getting blown by, to getting punished. And obviously, the best form of transition defense is to make your shots. If you make your shots, there is no transition. So that's your best form of transition defense. Outside of that, they need to get back quicker. They need to build out to the ball. There was a few plays in game three. We saw it. We've seen it all the way through. Grant Williams will argue with the ref. Tatum will argue with the ref. And that type of thing really does does slow down what um what the defense can do. It allows Giannis to get out in, on the break. It allows everybody to build up momentum. But look, man, I mean, we said we'd keep it nice and short and sweet. I think 30 minutes is enough, especially when it's 5.15 a.m. for you. <laughs> uh, the game's going to be on... You know, people could be tuning into this. The game could have already been happened. So, look, there's our ideas of what we'd like to see the Celtics implement to try and open up a few more scoring opportunities. It has been a heavy discussion on Tatum and Brown, but it needs to be when you're going into an essentially a do-or-die game of the postseason and they're your two best players. As usual, if you've enjoyed the show, please make sure to share. Uh, share it on Reddit, um, Twitter, Instagram. I just hit 10K followers on Instagram too, so I'm super happy for that. Please hit that follow button if you're enjoying it. I only started really putting effort into that in February, so that's huge growth for me. I'm quite proud. Make sure to go check out uh, Greg over at Black Sheep Optimists if you're into your your part, your hip-hop. Wow, what, you do a bunch of different genres, man. 
Yeah, it's it's a it's a definitely hip hop at its core, but there's I mean my my producer is a classically trained violinist, right? So we have a um a lot of violin influenced uh, hip hop in there. Uh, we we definitely do like traditional sampled hip hop too, but in general we're kind of moving towards um, no samples because you have to like clear samples and it's a pain in the butt. Um, but yeah, check us out, man. Black Sheep Optimist. We just had a big show down here in Austin, Texas, um, where there was a tornado that happened recently. So a lot of people lost their homes. A lot of people lost their businesses. So we threw a fundraiser on Saturday night. It was a huge crowd, really fun opportunity for us. And um, we've got a bunch of shows coming up, uh, hopefully doing one in Boston over the summer. But the momentum on that has kind of slowed down a little bit. But if there's going to be a Boston show, I will definitely make an announcement here on the Celtics pod. Try and do it for October. I'll be in Boston. Okay. I like that. I'm coming to a show. Make sure kids are allowed though, because I'll be with my kid. Um, <laughs> all right, everybody, have a good Monday. Hope this week starts off um, the right way with a win. As you can tell, I'm probably more tired than Greg is, and it's 11 a.m. for me, so I'm going to go and get a coffee. Greg's going to hit the gym, and we'll catch you all again on Wednesday. Everybody stay safe. Don't do anything we wouldn't do. Tune into Black Sheep Optimist, and make sure to hit Greg and Will on playback for game four. Peace. Peace, everybody. Ain't disrespecting you haters, I ain't sweating your opinion Y'all been testing my patience, never did it for a check I've been impressed with the famous, just rather be creative Than stressing my wages, ageless Every time I lay a verse down, one play at a time Keep it moving like a first down And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this MJ never made it to the majors, still he chased greatness Expected that he might fail, and I might too I might never get to pop champagne, celebrating with the